0: Dining day is over. The transfer portal has finally slowed down. Only three of 24/7 Sports's top 100 players are uncommitted in that regard, and so that means that all's quiet on the Western front, right? Nah. Not exactly. Good morning. It's Monday, February 7th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. Today's episode will be yet another dip into the Ole Miss Transfer Portal space, as we have 24-7 Sports' Carl Reed interviewing Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffen. The interview was actually conducted earlier last week and ran as a video property on 24-7 Sports, and my hunch is that Lane Kiffin's jab at Texas A&M that you will hear is probably one of the reasons that Jimbo Fisher went off on National Signing Day. But before we get to that, and I'm going to take a deep breath here because we do have a lot to get to as far as updated news on the coaching carousel. Going bananas. Uh, first off, obviously, Auburn. Uh, as I record this Sunday afternoon, Brian Harson is still Auburn's head coach, but that's probably going to change. Probably going to change very soon. The great Philip Marshall at Auburn undercover reports that Harson's separation from Auburn is imminent. Uh, the first-year coach by way of Boise State, as you all know, I mean, it was just a disastrous first season on the planes. Think about it. Started in the preseason, Harson obviously was not of the mind that a high vaccination rate among his team was an advantage or, or, or a big deal worth pressing. And regardless of how you feel about that... Harsin's stance was at absolute odds with the stances of championship coaches Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, who used their podium at SEC media days to tout their over 90% vaccination rate as a team as a competitive advantage. Auburn started off the year pretty well and really pushed Penn State to the brink in Week Three in Happy Valley, but ended up losing five straight to end the year. A stream of players after the season transferred out, that includes starting quarterback Bo Nix. Nearly half of the coaches who Parsons is hired in the last offseason and change, have already left or were fired. That included a mid-year firing of their wide receivers coach. But it also, and more importantly, as far as optics go, includes offensive coordinator Austin Davis, who stepped away last week, just a few weeks after being hired himself to be Harson's second offensive coordinator after Mike Bobo and Auburn parted ways. Uh, national signing day is supposed to be a great time, a great day for your program. Auburn did not sign any players on national signing day and fans were a little curious the last few weeks why their coach, Brian Harrison, was not literally hitting the road recruiting and everyone else in the SEC. Well, that's what they do. They hit, their, they hit the road and they recruit. So everything came to a head the day after signing day last Thursday. This is what Philip Marshall Wrote, and I quote, other issues surfaced as Auburn's athletics administration looked into various complaints about Harson, his dealings with his players, his coaches, and more. Harson's angry responses, and this is to ESPN last week in an exclusive saying, and I quote again, any attack on my character is, hope you got that bleep out, Lance, did nothing to help his situation. Players spoke out for Harson, against Harson, but all in all, it was just an awkward weekend on the plains. And as Marshall reports, a resolution here seems imminent. Sunday night, I think, is a great time to drop news. So it's possible that by the time you hear this on Monday morning or Monday afternoon, Harson is gone, and that would be my guess. Then that you've got some stopgap interim coaches try to get you through this upcoming season. It's just not. This is this is not what Auburn should be. This is not what Auburn expected after firing Gus Malzahn. I think it's a crime that Auburn is is this messy. Right now. We need Auburn to be good. Auburn should be good. Auburn should make a lot more sense than it currently is right now. Once something happens at Auburn, we will obviously, here on the College Football Daily, make plans for a special episode to break down the latest. So that's Auburn. Okay, one more school for you here. I guess this is two, but I want to focus on the Michigan aspect of Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, Broyles Award winner, taking a lateral job Sunday to go to the Miami Hurricanes. And I will say, though, Mario Cristobal's staff that he's put together after a month of not putting together a staff, at least coordinator OC or DC, it's really impressive. Gaddis, again, won the Broyles Award this year. Kevin Steele, attempted coup aside at his last job, is an extremely accomplished defensive coordinator. So this is good. But for Michigan, it's not just that Gaddis is leaving, it's how he left with ESPN reporting that he texted a few Michigan players saying, and again, I quote, unfortunately, the past few weeks has told a different story to me about the very little appreciation I have here from the administration. In life, I would never advise anyone to be where they are not wanted, unquote. So what does that mean? Okay, let's break things down. It's no secret that Jim Harbaugh, he really wanted the Minnesota Vikings job, and he did not get the offer. That's why he's back in Michigan. But you have to wonder what the last month of NFL rumors was like for the Michigan staff, especially as it bleeds into signing day. These guys have families, they've got mortgages, they've got things to do. I mean, if Harbaugh is leaving, their future is up in the air. So that's one thing. But then the other thing I would I would say about this, about Gaddis, is Heath probably thought, like a lot of us, that if Harbaugh left, Michigan, he could possibly be the head coach there. Would make sense. That's what Ohio State did or admired a Ryan Day. That's what Oklahoma did. Bob Stoops to Lincoln Riley. Just promote the young hotshot offensive coordinator. So while we all thought that, the fact that Gaddis in the text said, very little appreciation I have here from administration, that makes me think that Michigan, someone in Michigan, someone close to him, they probably got feelers that that would not Be a job going to him, the head coaching job. That's where I am. That's just that's just my opinion. That's just where I am, but whatever. Either way, Harbaugh has to replace the coach who deserves a lot of credit for finally turning things around in Ann Arbor. And Miami gets the bright young Gaddis, who will probably help Tyler Van Dyke, the quarterback of Miami, unlock that next level of his maturation. And Gaddis will also be an absolute force for the Hurricanes on the recruiting trail. Big win for Miami big loss for Michigan, not just on the field, but in the optics department too, and off the field as far as recruiting goes. So I'm out of breath. We'll see what this week brings. Here's 24-7 Sports' Carl Reed with Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin.
1: Guys, this is Carl Reed, college football analyst with 24-7 Sports. I'm here with the head coach of Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin. Coach, how are you doing today?
2: Great, Carl. Appreciate you having us.
1: Coach, I want to get right into it. You guys right now rank ranked number one in the transfer portal rankings, and you've been doing a remarkable job of bringing that in. Is the transfer portal good for college football? We've been getting a lot of opinions. Some guys love it, some hate it. You guys have been dominating in the recruiting of it. What do you think about the portal and where things are today in the game?
2: Well, I think that, you know, it's good kids have the opportunity to leave. I think that it needs to be like anything when it comes out early, there's issues with it. So there needs better, need to be better dates around it. So kids aren't, you know, leaving in season stuff like what was happening, but it's really good. It just needs to be, be fixed a little bit.
1: Do you think that freshmen and some of the young guys that naturally have an adjustment to make when they enter college, do you think some of those guys are giving up too soon? Like if a young guy comes in right away that hasn't even really went through a season in the spring yet and giving themselves a real opportunity to compete. How would you adjust them? What would you say to a young guy that's coming in pretty early on in his career already talking about the portal?
2: Well, we deal with that, you know, kids coming in at the end of their first year. And you think about, you know, like if you're not a spring kid, that's the end of your first semester of college. So that is an issue, you know. Because kids are going to want to leave too early and not have really tried hard enough and long enough and given an opportunity. So, yeah, we deal with that. That's a, that's a problem.
1: Now, one of the big signees that you have in the portal, obviously, is everybody's talking about USC transfer quarterback Jackson Dart. You've been a guy that's worked with some very elite quarterbacks. What do you see in him that makes you makes him be a guy that can compete at an elite level in the SEC? What made Jackson Dart the guy for you in the transfer portal at the quarterback
2: position? Well, we think Jackson's very talented, you know, played to hurt last year, but did some good things. And so um, this will be an exciting competition, you know, coming in here. Uh, Luke did some good things and it's a little bit of playing time this year. So uh, that'll be exciting to have.
1: Now, when you talk about one of the the topics that has come up the last several years have been guys opting out of bowl games in preparation for the NFL draft. You had a big time quarterback this year, Matt Corral, who went down in your bowl game. How do you feel about guys playing in bowl games that are getting ready for the NFL draft. And what can we do to fix it? What can we do to, to put ourselves in a better situation with the bowl games, with so many key players opting out late in the year?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Um, I certainly understand why players do it, you know. Uh, so I, I don't think there's any way to fix that. That just is what it is. I think eventually you're going to see more kids opt out of their last year. I mean, take, for instance, the two great Alabama players right now. You know, just use some examples. They're both top ten picks, and it doesn't it doesn't matter whether you play your last year anymore. And, you know, for high level guys, I think someone said a year ago in the draft, maybe half the top ten picks didn't play, you know, because of COVID or opting out. So we take, for instance, those two great players. You know, arguably the best offensive defensive players in the country coming back. Why are they even playing? You know, so um, I I get it.
1: Were you surprised that those guys that didn't play still had such a high value to NFL teams? You've been at, you've worked in the NFL before. It seemed to it seemed that a lot of guys' initial thought was that the NFL would be scared of taking guys who they felt like didn't want to compete in those college games. But it really didn't affect certain guys' positioning at all. Was that a surprise to you?
2: No, the um, uh, NFL is going to look at film, look at tape and measurements and figure out who they are. And I don't think, you know, just like when they say people opting out of bowl games, people start to do that. People are going to they're going to drop in the draft. No, they're not. You know, um, they're going to draft. who they think the best player is not because they decided not to play in one game.
1: Coach, how important is in-state recruiting? Typically, when guys get jobs, they always say they want to put a fence around their backyard and focus on in-state recruiting. But when you're trying to compete for national championships, a lot of times it seems like you have to go get the best player available at a position, regardless of where he's from. Does in-state recruiting matter as much as everybody says it does, or does it have to be more of an emphasis on getting the best available player you can get anywhere in the country?
2: I think it's got to be the best available player. You know, you can research people that have said, oh, we're just going to sign players from where we're at, you know, and they end up getting fired because then they're not good enough. So, um, and people that have done it more national and not as much home. So, in my opinion, you need to sign the best players. And if they're equal, then take the local kids. Um, but, you know, I don't think you say we're just taking out of state and we're just, or we're just taking in state. And I've seen that fail.
0: We will hear more from Carl Reed and Lane Kiffin when
2: we come back.
1: Now, one of the things that has you become known for is your presence on social media now, there's a lot of college football coaches that don't use Twitter, and there's a lot of guys who don't know how to use it. They feel like it's a distraction, but you've really embraced it to where some people say that you are the king of the trolls that you that you troll people on Twitter and that you have a lot of fun with it. Coach, what's made you embrace Twitter? How has it been effective for you and and what made you fall in love with it so much in terms of how you communicate with the college football world?
2: I don't really know, you know, why it got so popular with me. I'm just kind of a normal person, you know how I live my life and and on Twitter I do that especially. And so I've never been a, you know, just coach speak person. I think that's boring. I used to be bored listening to press conferences when coaches did that or post games. So I kind of said, I'd never do that. So um, that's why you just kind of get what it is. And I think it's okay to have fun. I mean, life's short and nothing wrong with having fun of it. You know, people ask, Oh, you know, what about Brian Kelly? I said, well, I would joke with Brian Kelly. Maybe he laughed at that, you know, (laughs) um, grinding on players like that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I laughed at it. Definitely. When I saw it, I can tell you that. So coach, You've become a a very great offensive coach over the years. You got a chance to go to Alabama as an OC for a period of time there, and you kind of changed the way that they were playing offensively. What was it like working for Coach Saban, and what are some of the things you took from him that have put you in a position now to even improve yourself as a head coach?
2: Well, a lot you know, just the organization and the CEO approach that coach Saban does. And, you know, he's just unbelievable to do it for the amount of time he's done it for with different players, different coaches. I mean, he's, like I've said before, you know, he was in the best coach, football coach conversation ever. Now he's in the best coach conversation ever.
1: And coach, one of the last things I want to ask you before we get out of here, Ole Miss has a Incredible fan base, a lot of support, um, rabbit fan base. Obviously, you're playing in the SEC, especially in the SEC West, which many people will say is the best division in all of college football. What would get into an SEC championship and getting into the college football playoffs and making a run at it what would that mean for the people in the state of Mississippi?
2: Well, that'd be tremendous. But we, we just got to, you know, get better one day at a time and worry about that. Will it be a playoff expansion? All those things are out of our control. But we got a lot of work to do and there's a lot of challenges, um, especially with transfer and now NIL. You know, that's very challenging.
1: Is Has NIL changed the landscape of college football forever?
2: Oh, it's changed. I mean, it's basically like everybody's got different salary caps. You know, like, I joked the other day, like, hey, are they going to implement a luxury tax on Texas and Texas A&M? I mean, because, you know, I mean, what they're paying the players is unbelievable, but it is, it's legal. So, you know, you got players that have never played before making hundreds of thousands, even million dollars. So it just is what it is, but it's not going to be an equal playing field around the country at all. And, you know, to me, you're going to see this happen because what would happen in the NFL if... People had different salary caps, you know, eventually, you know, those guys with the highest salary caps going a lot of games.
1: Do you, do you see the NCAA ever adjusting that? Uh, is there any, is there any talks about rules getting put in place to make it more level across the board in terms of what you can and what you can't do?
2: I don't know how they're going to do it. They're going to have to do something, but I have no idea how that's going to be
1: done. Well, Coach, we'll be looking forward to it. We want to wish you luck this season and spring as you get ready. You guys are doing a great job down there, and I really appreciate you coming on with us today.
0: All right, Carl. Have a great week. Thank you. Appreciate Carl doing that interview with Lane Kiffin. Follow Carl on Twitter, fun follow, at Coach Reed Live. Carl knows all these coaches super well. I think Carl's been bypassing the old gentleman's agreement of an SID uh, where you reach out to the school and you line up an interview and they ask you who's talking and Carl's like, nah, not playing that game. I'm just going to text the coaches I know really well and we're going to do interviews and do content. He did one the other day too with Oregon's Dan Landing. That was very good. I, I recommend you go check it out on 247sports.com. Anyway, have a good Monday. Maybe some Auburn news will happen or has already happened. My name is Trey Scott. Our producer is Lance Glenn. We'll talk to you on Tuesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.